Hello and welcome to the APAC file, the joint bi-weekly podcast of Radio Free Period of Liberty and the Wilson Center focusing on Pakistan in Afghanistan. I'm Mohammed Tahir, Radio Free Period of Liberty's media manager and host of the APAC file podcast here in Washington, D.C. It's been just a month since the Taliban came to power in Afghanistan, but there are growing signs of tension among their top leadership. At least this is how it's being reported. Insiders say it was due to the rift that it took so long for them to come up with the list of the cabinet members. It was the lack of cohesion among them, they say, that the cabinet turned out the way it did, which didn't even satisfy the Taliban themselves in terms of inclusivity. Uh, It's again due to the difference of opinion, particularly among two groups that led to women's rule in public being severely diminished. But the Taliban denies all of these reports. So today on the APAC file podcast, we decided to break it down and talk about what's really going on there. How real is the reported tension, what it means for the people and for the Taliban's own future, and where things are possibly headed from here. To discuss all these, I'm joined by Harun Rahimi, Assistant Professor of Law at the American University of Afghanistan, Diwa Pateng, Afghan journalist, previously presenter at Afghan National TV, RTA, Michael Kuhlman, Asia Program Deputy Director and Senior Associate for South Asia at the Wilson Center. Thank you, colleagues, for being with us today. So let's start with you. Harun, the the way you see it, is there or there is no tension among the Taliban leaders? I think um, it is was expected that uh, forming a government under these circumstances would come with a lot of internal tensions. I think there are personality clashes. There are different Taliban are a large, complex group, and it was expected that there would be different leanings, different groupings within the movement. I think, however, the question is how serious these rifts, internal rifts are, and what do they mean for stability of the country, for the ability of Taliban to govern, and other issues that we care about. With regard to how serious it is, I think Taliban are not in serious risk of internal fragmentation, as some are mm. suggesting. They have remained a cohesive uh, group for over 20 years, despite taking mm. huge casualties. I mean, there was some uh, fragmentation after Mullah Omar that was announced, but they quite, um, I mean, I, you could argue that they quickly uh, reconsolidated uh, as a unified uh, movement. Mm-hmm. With regard to uh, what it all means, I mean, what exists, yeah. what it means. Harun, I think, Harun, can we come back to that topic a little bit later? I, in the beginning, I also wanted to take uh, Diva and Michael's thoughts on that. I mean, there are so many theories on social media when you look into what people are talking about this. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to kind of make it clear whether there is or there is no tension among them. So, Diva, what is your thought about these reports? I mean, as as you said, that you know, on social media we see a lot of different uh, views what people are saying, but what the Taliban are saying that they're denying it completely. But lately what's actually the news about Mullah brother that you know he hasn't been you know on the news he has we haven't seen him there's a lot of official meetings that's happened we haven't seen him at all he was a, a person who was somebody who was quite involved in all these uh, peace talks and he was outspoken and he was always there but lately we haven't seen him um, at all I know that there was the last video of him to say that he's still alive and in Kandahar but then why uh, there is we haven't heard anything for him for the last one week now so um, I it think, is believed I think, that uh, it, Deva, just the one updated information about that. I think there was a delegation from Kyrgyzstan today in Kabul and they received by Mullah brother. So he was in front of camera. Okay, if that's the case, then yes, I, I do apologize. But then again, if you look into him not being around for 
quite uh, you know significant of time it is spoken that there are groups now within the taliban that you know some of the taliban are quite conservative and some of them are not as conservative as they uh, they sound like we have heard change that uh, the Haqqanis, uh, they are closer to the Pakistanis, but then they are, they're not as conservative when it comes to their um, group. But then when we look into the other uh, fracture of the uh, the groups, they, they are different. So I think it's very difficult time. It's so, so yeah. soon to make a judgment on this because we haven't got a lot of data. We haven't got um, a lot of information for, uh, you know, some analysts to be able to make a judgment yeah. if there is, you know, how many groups there are or what type of differences they have. It is good to speak about it, but I think it's, you know, how much we speak, we might not be 100% right because uh, it hasn't been very long that they have been governing the country. At the beginning, before, you mm. know, them uh, coming into the country, they were in war. So they were in the same mentality. They had one aim where they wanted to, mm. you know, enter uh, Afghanistan and, you know, govern the whole country. That was their aim. But now the aim is different. Now is for them to be able to hold the seeds that they have got and, you know, be able to fulfill uh, the wishes of the Afghan people, what they want, and also at the same time, that the aim that they have got for the country. Okay, uh, Michael, your thoughts on that? I mean, I heard you were saying that it, it might be too soon to judge whether there is a tension or not between them. So what 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 is your thoughts? Well, certainly I agree uh, with Diva that, uh, you know, we can't be sure. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to know exactly what's going on. There's been plenty of reports mm media reports, uh, including uh, those coming from some very credible, uh, you know, well-respected journalists, you know, Kathy Gannon, Ali Latifi, people like that. But, you know, these are these are just reports at the end of the day. And obviously, if you uh, you ask the Taliban um, what's going on, of course, they're going to say, no, there's mm. no issues. And, mm. you know, what we saw with that incident that you referred to with Mullah Baradar appearing on TV to say that all is well, you know, you're not, you're not going to get any acknowledgement from the Taliban if there really are tensions and infighting going on. But that said, I do think that, you know, this would be the type of moment when one could expect there to be brewing tensions between the group, just because it's going through a very stressful time. It's going through a major political transition, which mm-hmm. has entailed this new interim government that came out. And certainly, you know, that's obviously going to be very political and very controversial where you're selecting people to be leading this interim government. Mm-hmm. That could certainly create the way for disagreements and disputes. And then more broadly, the Taliban is in a position where it needs to try to consolidate its power and at the same time figure out how to deal with a very serious economic crisis. And it needs to figure out how to fend off the ISIS Khorasan threat. And these are all areas where there could be differences in views uh, within the Taliban about how to, mm. to go about addressing mm. so, all of these major so, challenges. So, so, different, so this differences of opinion, views on many issues that they are currently facing, Michael, what is this? Like, is this personality-based? Is this based on, uh, let's say, tribal affiliation, based on regional affiliation? What, what seems to be the kind of a core cause of this? Well, I mean, certainly that's that's something that's that's hard to say for sure. I think that uh, if we want to acknowledge that there are disputes and infighting uh, within the Taliban, I think that differences in policy and opinions would would certainly be driving that. I don't know the extent to which mm. you know personal rivalries and vendettas could be playing a role, but if we believe the uh, the media accounts coming from Bloomberg and AP and others that you actually had uh, Mullah Baradar and uh, and Khalil or Rahman Haqqani coming to blows, well, that suggests that there is enough hostility to spill over into. Uh, Um, into physical violence, and that may require something more than a a mere disagreement uh, on policy issues. But, um, you know, 
I think that if we look at the past, right, if we look at the history of the Taliban, what we've seen over the years is that when there have been differences of views within the group or disputes, or when the Taliban has, the the high Taliban leadership has feared that there could be dissenters in the midst, the group has, has cracked down really hard and brutally to prevent these differences from becoming more of a bigger issue and more of a bigger threat to the coherence of the group on the whole. And I imagine that that would be the case now, though that'll be more difficult to do just because the Taliban's no longer in the shadows. It's now controlling the government, and mm-hmm. I think word would get out mm-hmm. if there were actual you know, efforts to violently uh, crack down mm-hmm. on those perceived to be a, a threat to mm-hmm. the wider organization. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Harun, earlier you raised this question, and I, I, I guess... Um Unfairly, I followed up with Michael uh, about the this reported tension. Is is based on what? I mean, is is it uh, like on policies? Is it on personalities? It's on tribal affiliation, regional affiliation. Where is this coming from? I mean, I agree with Michael that it's almost impossible to say at this point. Mm. Taliban have been an opaque group for a very long time. Mm. Now that they are in power, they are much more visible. And if they when the tensions do occur, they are more visible, and uh, we can observe them. But still, Taliban have uh, maintained a unified image. Uh, Mullah Brother mm. making that TV statement was a testament to the common desire within the movement to be perceived as united. And all part statements, public statements, have pointed towards that, which means they are still very keen in keeping internal dissent uh, very private and out of the way of public. We can speculate, and many have speculated. I think. I think if. If you are an analyst mm. and you're looking at it objectively uh, without making uh, assumptions about mm. people's intentions and you look at looking at just the dynamics of insurgency, a 20-year insurgency now trying to establish a government, I think you could think about one major challenge about demobilization and demilitarization of forces. And I've tried to highlight this whenever mm. I speak. Mm. I mean, it doesn't have to be about Mullah Brother or Ahmed or, or whatever name. Just having a Taliban now in power means that they are going to have to demobilize and demilitarize some of their forces. They have tried to observe some of, absorb some of those forces into the public administration as a way to reward them for, for their efforts. It has not been well perceived by the international community, by other groups, and it's been a controversial topic because they lack qualifications. The other uh, alternative just to let them go back home and, and just go back to normal life doesn't seem that, that attractive because Afghanistan economy is collapsing and these people often are very, very much and socialize in this um, movement, they truly opted in and, and believed in, in the core message. And some of them are, for example, now when they are interviewed, they express this um, sadness, deep sadness that they did not get to experience martyrdom. And now I think they are experiencing a kind of an existential crisis as to what is their place in the world right now. And I think it is a moment that is going to be very charged and very tense. And all the choices that the Taliban leadership is going to be is going to make is going to have an impact on whether Taliban is going to remain a cohesive force or they're going to shed fighters and other rivals in in Afghanistan's kind of theater, mm. uh, more extremists and uh, the ones that can still mm. offer, I think, a place, a meaningful place for these fighters within their ranks may actually be able to attract those fighters away from them. So mm. I think it is not hard to imagine the hard choices Taliban have to make and how serious the issue of uh, maintaining a cohesive force is going to be for the Taliban, even if you discount all these rumors about personality mm. clashes and, I don't know, different tribal areas and different leanings. 
Mm. Yeah, definitely there are lots of hard choices still they have to make which are going to test their unity going forward. And of course, we are going to talk about that too. But still, I'm kind of, you know, stuck with this uh, rumors or reports on social media. And of of course, many prominent uh, publications are talking about this. So it's just not rumors anymore. I mean, what I I was thinking about is many say that this news about the tension emerged during the discussions about formation of the government. And there were days and days past that they were not able to come up with names. And then, uh, yeah, you heard ISI general wasn't in Kabul. And many said, okay, he was to move things forward. So what I was saying about is like, is there any history to this tension between the personalities or between regional factions or whatever the source of the tension is? Is there any history to it or it it just emerged during that formation of the government? Well, um, it's quite difficult, uh, you know, to to say if there were any tensions or not, because, you know, the things that we read, it's more about personal views that, you know, social media, a lot of journalists or analysts think that these are the issues because we haven't heard nothing or much from the Taliban themselves. I know it has taken quite some time for them to formate, or you know, the formation of the, the government. But then it's it's also understandable because um, nobody was expecting that Kabul will fall so quickly. And even the Taliban themselves, they, they were acknowledging this, that, you know, they were not ready that, you know, Kabul will fall so quickly to them. So they were not ready to govern the, the city and, you know, provide the security to the city. So that's why it has taken them uh, a bit of time to come together. And also some of their leaders were in Qatar and, you know, in different places for them to be able to, you know, talk to them and uh, and then agree to who is going to be leading and who is going to be, you know, taking what sort of um, responsibilities. And also slowly that we can now see that um, they're trying to bring other people into deputy roles. And at the same time, if, you know, many of us, we've noticed that, you know, they will start talking that, oh, we have, you know, given some seats to some other, you know, deputies uh, or and the mineral roles and they're more qualified but then it gives you a question that where the first uh, you know appointment were they not more qualified were they based on not qualification or how were they based so um, I think Taliban are now realizing that you know slowly that they're trying to bring some people that you know they need to bring people who are more technocrats so that they they would be able to you know bring a difference to the country that they would be able to to work for the people so when we talk about tensions um, I believe that you know when it comes to very important roles. I think not just uh, the Taliban, and I think uh, every administration around the world would have had some tensions uh, when when it, uh, it would if it would come to uh, f- formatting a completely new administration. Even if we talk about you know uh, a country which is uh, a very uh, forward and democratic country, if they need to format, uh, you know, need to make a new government, I think definitely there will be some tensions. So I would believe that there, between the Taliban, there must have definitely been some tensions. Who should be leading and who shouldn't be? Uh, as a minister and who should be as a minister so um, I believe that they should have been but then we, we might be wrong as uh, you know some of us said that they are quite united they don't want to show their reaction to the public but I think internally this they should have had uh, some dis- disagreement with each other mm-hmm. disagreement to the level that um, some say that foreigners had to uh, intervene, like uh, Pakistan's ISI chief was in Kabul, I guess, sometime there uh, when when they were talking about the the formation of the government. I mean, that was so public visit of some sort. I don't know what was the reason behind that, but it came... Uh, the, at the yeah. time when the, like reports of tensions were emerging between uh, particularly two men, brother and uh, Haqqani. So uh, there is uh, obviously something, but of course when you ask the Taliban,
Taliban, they will deny any tensions yeah. like that. The purpose of this discussion, by the way, is to, to kind of figure out what's the seriousness of ten- this tension. I mean, where it might lead the, the Taliban uh, administration going forward. Let's continue the conversation talking about these and many other questions very shortly. First, let me recap the debate that today on the FPAC File podcast, I'm joined by Harun Rahimi, Assistant Professor of Law at the American University of Afghanistan, Diva Pateng, Afghan journalist, previously presenter at Afghan National TV RTA, uh, Michael Kuhlman, Asia Program Deputy Director and Senior Associate for South Asia at the Wilson Center, I'm Mohammed Tahir, host of the FPAC File and Rudy Ferpe, the Liberties Media Manager here in Washington, D.C., and we are discussing the reported rifts among the Taliban leaders. Okay. So about the seriousness of this thing, Michael, would you like to jump in here? How serious is this tension? I mean, when I ask this question, what I have in mind is, so what's the truth about this tension going physical at the presidential palace between Haqqani and Mullah brother or their followers there? Yeah, well, as I think all of us have agreed, uh, we can't place 100% truth on these rumors of, uh, of physical altercations. Again, there's been some uh, media reports and real, from, from some really credible journalists, but we don't know for sure. But I think that your question about how serious this could get, if it indeed is true, uh, that's, that's, that's certainly an important question. And I think that that really depends on the trajectory of the Taliban governing administration. In other words, I think that... Um, how serious any infighting or fracturing could get within the Taliban will depend on how successful the group is in consolidating its power, right? If the Taliban really struggles to consolidate its power, if it struggles to deal with this economic crisis, if if you have more opposition, including the formation of some violent or armed opposition to the Taliban government, if the Taliban is unable to rein in the uh, terrorist violence emanating from ISIS Khorasan, that will put more stress on the group. And I think that would then make it more likely that whatever latent infighting or tension as there may be could, could explode in big ways with all types of potential destabilizing implications. But I think another important angle of this, and I published an article on this recently, is that, you know, we're talking so much, as we should be, about, you know, just how much disputes there could be between different top leaders of different factions within the Taliban, hardliners versus moderates, etc. But for me, I think the most concerning thing from the Taliban's perspective to be worried about down the road is if you have unhappy and frustrated Taliban fighters, foot soldiers, Mm low-level foot soldiers, mm -hmm who had been happy fighting uh, a war for many years and are now in a position where they're not able to fight anymore. And, you know, this is going to take a long time with the transition and transitioning them back into civilian life. You know, these are folks that could well defect and splinter off from the Taliban and or jump ship over to ISIS Khorasan. I mean, there's been a history of ISIS Khorasan taking in so many former Afghan and Pakistani Taliban. And obviously, given the threat that ISIS Khorasan poses to the Taliban, it's not an existential threat, but it's a very real threat. I think that is certainly a concerning factor when you try to game out what types of implications could come from dissent within the ranks uh, mm. of the Taliban. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's that's something to watch out for as well, not just what the top leaders are are up to and you know disputes among themselves but also going lower down in the ranks to the Mm. foot soldiers and how they may react if they're unhappy about where things are now Mm. very interesting harun do you have any insight into the nature 
where I think demobilization and demilitarization are going to be the most the more serious challenges that the uh, Taliban may have, are facing. Uh, if there is a possible personality rift between two figures, I think um, they are likely to be reconciled. Uh, at least uh, would remain in the government and would not choose violent uh, picking up guns against against the government insurgency. While what if Taliban shed soldiers to other rivals and those rivals become very strong? They, they, there is a possibility of civil armed resistance against them. I think another approach to this that uh, is are important. You, are you are you trying to say something there? You don't really What's your concern? Yeah, let me put it in this way. Yeah, I mean you don't have to like um, speculate here. You had a large group of men who were told a narrative that uh, made them ready to sacrifice their lives for a cause. Um, they grew up in an environment, many of them, in an environment of what they perceive as brotherhood. Mm. They spent a lot of their times in a struggle they believed in. They mm. drew meaning from that struggle. They defined their place in the world through that struggle. Now that they are, the struggle has culminated into government, now they are told to man the traffic lights or the people at the top are concerned, are thinking about bringing other experts in who could help them run the central bank or run the, I don't know, the dams. Mm. I mean, that kind of transformation in the character of the Taliban movement means that a lot of Taliban fighters, people who strongly identify with the group, feel like they don't have a place in the movement anymore. And those people are very attractive targets to many other groups in the country who still have a narrative of war against the Taliban, against the West, and all the other possible um, kind of variations of it that exists. I think that's one side, and I think I agree with, with Michael on that, that it is, that is something that is with not enough attention is often paid to. The other issue is that Taliban are aware of this, and I think that hmm. means they will always try to serve the lowest common denominators when it comes to their policy. Hmm. They would not go beyond kind of the central view within the movement because they fear those consequences, those backlashes from, from below. But, this means the extremist but they, view. But they have to deal with it, right? If right. not today, tomorrow. I mean, I think you could uh, compare to other countries. Like, for example, if you talk talk about like the communist regimes in China, Mao and others, there were some movements that were able to flip flop on, on, on some of their narratives, like basically have one enemy today, have another enemy tomorrow, and basically have, were more autonomous. The leadership was more autonomous from the foot soldiers, and they could revise the mission statement of the movement uh, without facing a lot of consequences. I don't think Taliban is that. I think Taliban was a distributed, decentralized uh, movement with very strong ideological identity. Now it is supposed to turn into a centralized government, and a government that is going to at the very least go beyond ideology, make very practical, kind of deliver on practical promises that often require it to compromise on matters of ideology. I think that the Taliban appreciate that, their leadership appreciates that challenge. And what I see is that they are bound, they are beholden to these internal dynamics. And that's one of the reasons they cannot, or they wish they would not, moderate their stance uh, on, on many issues. They would not be able to balance many objectives that we may defined for them and they may appreciate as legitimate objectives now that they are in government. They are practically, I think, beholden to this kind of common, lowest common denominators within the movement, which is very distressing, as you said, for the government. I mean, Afghanistan economy is collapsing. The issue of international recognition is not moving forward. What would it mean for the whole country if Taliban cannot really govern because of the fact that they are struggling with these challenges and all they're doing is trying to remain a cohesive movement or trying to make sure there is um, sufficient discipline within the movement and trying 
trying not to upset a large kind of constituency within the movement. I think one observer put it this way, they are maybe sleepwalking into an mm-hmm. irreversible, um, irreversible crisis. And I think that may be it. Spending too much trying to manage this internal crisis has crippled them in managing with the external crisis that is happening to the country or in the country. And I think that is the serious challenge. I mean, Taliban may remain a cohesive force, but Afghanistan may kind of go and make a nosedive into a horrible humanitarian crisis, become an internationally isolated entity again, would be cut off from the world market, and we would face something like the 90s without even Taliban intending to go there. Very interesting analysis there, Harun. Thank you very much for that. You know, it's, it's, as you guys said, as DYU pointedly talk about this, you know, we might not know exactly in terms of what's really going on in terms of the those reports of tension there as Taliban keeps denying and there are credible reporting coming out of Kabul. Indeed, there is something going on. But um, there are so many other things as Harun ta- was talking about. There are so many other milestones. There are so many other hard choices they have to make, which will keep testing the unity among the Taliban. So where your eyes will be as a journalist looking into in terms of what those choices are? Um, um, I think um, Taliban are now that they're in power, they will be having a lot of challenges. Mm. I mean, they already have a lot of challenges. First of all, is the recognition of their government. Mm. I think that will be a huge challenge for the Taliban. And secondly, it will be uh, women's rights. We can see that uh, a lot of women are already on the street uh, trying to demand their rights. And uh, we can at the same time see that uh, there is not much Taliban are doing to help the situation. And we can see that uh, girls are not allowed to go to school from you know year seven anymore so year six they have to stop and uh, women are not allowed to go to work back and there are certain jobs that they can do and um, and in a lot of places that they're not allowed to go out of their houses to be able to you know do some work for their family so uh, i think women's rights will be a big challenge for the taliban because of Uh, the mentality that the Taliban have got when it comes to women and now this is a challenge for them to be able to allow women to do what actually women's rights uh, that they are not able to accept to give the normal human rights to women so I think this will be a huge issue for the for the Taliban. We can see internationally. I think one of the reasons that uh, Taliban are not recognized, maybe, mm-hmm. is not just the, uh, them being a terrorist organization, but plus also they're not recognized because of how they treat women. Mm-hmm. If 50% of the population uh, of Afghanistan is treated the way they want to treat them, I think this will be a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, economy, we can see that every day. Uh, Diva, Diva, uh, can I, can I uh, follow up on that? I mean, the way the women being currently treated, Treated like you know, the doors of school being shut to them from the middle school. I guess the way it stands now, and although they keep saying that they will come to it in the future, but who knows? And also, women are not allowed to come back to their work. Like the the other day, I was listening to Kabul Mir's comments about their thinking in terms of uh, in which condition women will be called into work. It's just uh, unacceptable uh, the way he puts it. So what I'm saying is here: is this uh, position on women's women's rights? Is this a united? Taliban policy or it reflects just a f- fraction of it? I mean, how do you read it? 
as a woman, I read it that it's, uh, you know, not united decision because we can see clearly that, uh, you know, things are very different in different parts of Afghanistan. If, um, if you speak to people in the villages, uh, you know, how their women are treated or, uh, you know, the law applies to them or what they can do, what they cannot do, is completely different to Kabul. Mm. So I think it's not unified. It's, we can see that, you know, in Kabul, people are, women are given a little bit slightly more rights than, you know, if you go to uh, Kandahar, for mm. example. They're, they are not unified. They're they have different perspectives. Uh, we can also, uh, you know, hear from, uh, uh, you know, the spokesperson, Zabiola, that, you know, when he comes and talks about the women's rights and you're just listening to him, uh, you know, you, it gives you hopes, thinking that, yeah. oh, well, you know, Taliban have changed and we can see that, uh, you know, they will do this and that for women. But then uh, as soon as, you know, the his speech is finished and then you go and then hear something from uh, somebody from mm. the from the village or uh, or another minister, it's completely different. You mm. So I think every... Uh, every fraction of the Taliban have got different perspectives and they're not on the same page. And I think this is could also be one of the reasons where there is some clashes because they understand that if they do not, you know, abide women's rights, that there will be a huge problem with the international community. Yeah. They, recognition, they, they won't be able to have, uh, you know, their hands on the funds which has mm. been frozen. Mm. Their government will not be recognized. And also we, we did even see from, you know, even just a simple cricket team, we, we can just, you know, look at it. The Australia didn't want to play Afghanistan simply because there is no women's cricket team anymore. Mm. So there is slowly a lot of restrictions are put on them. Mm. And Taliban are slowly understanding that, well, guys, listen, if we don't do what Islam is giving them as a woman, a lot of other Islamic countries are yeah. doing this, exactly the same thing, like Pakistan. So why we are different? And I think this type of communication are starting to get between the teams now. And that's why there are definitely differences and slowly I think we will see that their appointments will be changing ministers the new ministers will be coming and and I personally believe I think a lot of these changes will not just happen because they don't like that minister I think it's because of the ideology you know that particular person will have against certain policies that they want to bring uh, into action and um, I think um, this will be uh, this could be I mean we can see that 80% of the the things that we see on social media is all to do with women mm. you know how how Taliban treat women yeah. and this is a big attention has been put by international community by afghans because if 50 percent of the population is treated or will not be able to have the right then you know the other 50 percent of the population like yesterday people were on the mm. streets selling their children so slowly the you know the country is going into a situation where yeah. women are not allowed to work mm. there is not enough work for men mm. so how is the you know the household going to be coping with each other mm. yeah. there are huge issues and challenges that talent of facing at the moment mm -hmm. but I think uh, within the time we would be able to see how they will be able to cope with them okay um, Michael I think we also need to be wrapping up the discussion very soon Diva points out into really a good uh, inner points here in terms of the this uh, you hear this different voices coming out from Taliban, you know, speaking of the women's right, for instance. I mean, they either don't know how to deal with it. They clearly were not, not prepared for it, I guess. You know, when you hear the Taliban mayor in Kabul, his opinion is entirely different than what you hear from Zabihullah Mujahid, the spokesperson of the Taliban, in terms of how to approach women's rights in the country. So that itself tells you that the lack of at least cohesion, if it is not tension uh, between the Taliban. But there are so many other hard choices 
choices they have to make going forward to make this country functional. So where are your eyes going to be going forward in terms of those hard choices they have to make and the, the potential consequences of that? in terms of the unity of the Taliban. What I'm trying is to say is, I mean, there are some, lots of other t- hard choices they have to make which will test their unity, where your eyes will be. Yeah, this is for sure. Uh, one thing that I'll be watching is uh, how does the Taliban uh, continue building out this this new government? I mean, we know who's going to be leading the ministries. It's no surprise that these are all senior Taliban leaders. But, um, you know, are we going to see, um, as the, the Taliban tries to select folks to fill these more mid-level posts, is there, are we going to see some non-Taliban folks that are brought in? Are we going to see some women being given uh, some degree of senior roles? If we start to see that, that suggests that maybe there is a degree of accommodation from the hardliners to the moderates. I'm not necessarily sure I would argue that we're going to see that, but um, the way in which the Taliban fills out the government beyond the heads of all the ministries and all the, the names that have already been announced, I think that'll give an indication of where things stand with the infighting and how willing the hardliners are to accommodate the more the, the moderates that want there to be somewhat of a more respectable government in order to increase the chances of international legitimacy, recognition, so on and so forth. Also, you know, the economic crisis is, is so serious uh, right now. I think that um, if, and I think I had suggested this before, if the Taliban struggles to rein that in, um, and by extension, if it struggles to get um, financial support from the outside for that, then I think that the potential for more for more infighting and disagreements and actual possible fractures because of this tensions at, because of the stress at play, you know, you could see a lot more of that at that point. But you know, I think final point here: the Taliban has entered uncharted territory, and the type of uncharted territory that I think makes it likely that we could see more growing disputes with within. Right. I mean, the Taliban is now has control of pretty much the entire country, which was not mm. the case in the 1990s. It had control of, I believe, about 90 percent of the country, mm. but not nearly the entire country like now. And unlike in the 90s, you have people, particularly in cities, particularly women that, you know, had achieved a number of gains in the post-Taliban era. And they're worried about losing those. And they are willing to take to the streets to, to make that message very clear. You've had a uh, technological revolution and the arrival of social media that makes it easy for people that are opposed to the Taliban to showcase what they're doing and trying to showcase that concern to the world. So that all puts more pressure on the Taliban, adds to its stress and its challenges, and all of that increases the likelihood that you could have you know, latent tensions on the inside spill over and become much more overt. Again, though, in the past, we have seen the Taliban act violently to crack down on those that are perceived to be threats. And if you look at the, you know, the last really big bang moment for the Taliban organization, it was after Mullah Omar died, after his death was announced. And there was a pretty significant, it it was tough, the transition process that played out before Mullah Mansour, his successor, was appointed. You had a number of factions who were very opposed to the selection of Mullah Mansour. And so you actually had high Taliban leadership stage crackdowns, violent, deadly crackdowns against those that had opposed the the, uh, Mullah Mansour taking power. So it's harder to do that now for the reasons that I mentioned, just because the eye, all eyes are on the Taliban in ways that they had not been in the 1990s. But my point is that, yes, there could be more stress and tension leading to more disputes, but that raises the question about how the Taliban will deal with infighting and tensions that get to be so significant. That's mm-hmm. something that I'll be watching mm-hmm. as well. Also, where the leader is, right, the, the Taliban top leader, 
and Taliban have taken over the country. You know, that's the struggle that they were in for a long, long time. And we still don't know where the, the top guy is, whether in Afghanistan even. And there are there were so many other rumors about his well-being too. I mean, of course, that's a, uh, a discussion for another topic. The, the idea of this particular podcast being the talk about the, uh, the report tension among the top Taliban leadership. So on that point, is there any other point that I'm missing? This is the last uh, opportunity to, to, to mention, if anything, I, I, I have missed on the subject of the implications of this report tension or the tension itself among the Taliban leaders. Harun, let's end uh, with you. Della, uh, yeah. I think one thing we should keep in mind is that there's been a period of a form of lazy free governance right now. Mm. So a lot of things are happening despite the Taliban being in charge or regardless of Taliban being in charge in the country. And uh, I think Taliban are setting up their system of control over the country and mm. internally over their forces. For example, Ministry of Interior recently uh, released a memo uh, or was it a reported memo where they were taught it was talking about purging the ranks from all sort of bad actors. There's also the fact that these appointments are going down from the ministries lower down to now the heads of departments and, and lower. And I think any of many of these are done with the intention of building up the system of the apparatus of control, like basically taking control of state institutions, internal, imposing internal discipline in, in, in their own, within their own ranks. And I think we are not dealing with a Taliban that can do a lot of things. And a lot of things are happening regardless of what a Taliban would like to do. And what that more empowered Taliban, a more institutionalized and more kind of con- Taliban with more consolidated power, with more established position will choose to do. I think that's a question mark. There are actually hints that we may see more repressive policies uh, coming back as opposed to more progressive policies. For at the very least, Taliban are likely to take measures against anyone who poses a threat to the regime. That would be internal threats from people inside the movement, uh, as well as external threats from people who may be challenging the, the government, uh, the Taliban regime um, externally different ways. That, that is an important context to keep in mind. And we are not really, I mean, although they have a caretaker government, we are not really talking about a fully formed government. Mm. And we're not really talking about a Taliban that can do a lot at this point. And a lot of things are happening like through tacit Taliban approval or just Taliban just being a bystander, like through a laser free kind of a system that is that is emerged right now. That is not gonna last. I don't think that is gonna last. But how it's gonna change, like a more what a more established Taliban is going to do, I think that's a question. It's a mixed picture. Right. Okay. With this, let's end the conversation right here. I think we are going to get back to this topic very soon, talking about uh, something uh, on a different angle, I guess. Uh, So thank you very much, Harun Rahimi, Assistant Professor uh, of Law, the American University of Afghanistan, for your participation and thoughts and uh, your time. And also big thanks to uh, Deva Patang, Afghan journalist, previously presenter of the Afghan National TV, RTA, and Michael Kuhlman, Asia Program Deputy Director and Senior Associate for South Asia at the World Center. Thank you, colleagues, for your time today. And this is from me, Mohammed Tahir, Ready for Repair the Liberties media manager and host of the Pack File, a joint podcast series of Ready for Repair the Liberty in the Wilson Center. Please join us in two weeks. Until then, bye bye.